Man, I, I just got to start with this. It feels, it feels good to be back. Um, excited to be back with you. Hey, if, you, if you're kind of new around here, my name is Brent Thomas. I'm the worship and creative arts pastor here at our church. And uh, for the past five weeks, I've been on uh, my first ever sabbatical, which is just kind of a, a churchy type word that means uh, uh, I took a vacation. No, not really. Um, but... <laughs> Really what it was, it was this kind of time that was set aside for rest, and uh, man, I just, I got to start by saying publicly, I am extremely thankful to our lead pastor and our elder team um, for them allowing me to, somewhat forcing me to nicely uh, to take this time of extended rest. Um, It was much, much needed for my uh, physical, emotional, mental, spiritual health, um, and for the health of my family, and um, I'll just say this. you know, I've, I've been in vocational ministry for almost 10 years now, um, about eight, year, eight years here in Rochester, and this is the first time I've, I've ever taken some extended time. So maybe, you know, you think like five weeks, like that sounds amazing. Like, what did you do? Is it just like incredible? Like, are you feeling super refreshed? And, you know, for this being the first time, uh, anytime you do something the first time, you don't do it perfectly, right? Like you kind of, uh, okay, that's what that's like a little bit. And so I'll say this, it was nothing I expected and everything I needed, right? And I think God works that way a lot in our lives where uh, I had some, definitely some unmet expectations near the end of it that were like, oh man, I thought I was going to, and then you, hindsight is, oh, this is super unrealistic for me to actually think that in this season of life that this is what that would look like. And so it it was a great time away. It was exactly what God had planned for me. And I just want to say thank you to our leadership for allowing me to do that. I also, you know, again, just want to thank the worship and production team. I heard so many great things. We had some great friends come in, uh, dear friends of mine, John and Valerie Guerra, Rochelle Burlock, and then last week to have a good buddy of mine, Gray, and his wife, Crystal Stedman, here with us. Just, like, felt so blessed by those guys coming in, but more blessed by our home team kind of holding it down week in and week out, making it happen, and I'm just so grateful. And then the last person I want to thank is someone who just put in so much time and energy to allow me to not even seriously, like not think twice about the logistics of what was going on and just so many extra hours and behind the scenes things. And she's probably going to be mad at me for doing this. But would you just like round of applause hand for Amanda Walston and our church. She's, she's literally hiding in the back in the shadows right now because she doesn't want to be seen. That's just her spirit. Um, but really, just so I was so blessed by her. She's our worship coordinator here, and she's just crushed it. I think she's gunning for my job, and I think it would might be a good decision just to give it to her because she killed it. Um, but, I mean, just a little update on me and my family. Like, what did, what did, what did we do for five weeks? I just want to kind of clue you in on that. That was one of my heart. Uh, the heart behind me being able to share God's word with you today is just be able to, to tell you, hey, here's, here's how it went. And uh, the one thing, you know, again, like some un- unmet expectations, right, and uh, probably some unrealistic expectations, but the one word I'll use is space. Space. That's something that I don't do very well in my life of putting in there. So there was just some space in my life to actually, like, think and ponder and wonder and dream and, like, God, what do you have for our church, what do you have for me? What is coming? What What do you want? And you know, you don't. You try to not put God in a box. You try to not say, "Here, you know, God, here's my fleece, and you better answer this specific question because this is the only time I have available for you to really speak to me." That's not the point. The point is, man, can I just actually have some some breadth in my life to allow God to come in and and say some things that I've been so busy 
to actually like listen to. So I tried to do that, and it was simple things, right? It was like not setting an alarm in the morning. And uh, I have young kids, so they're an alarm clock in and of themselves. And you know, I was getting up at whenever they were up, anyways. But sometimes my wife would let me sleep in, and so gracious of her. And and then each day, right? I mean, life's going on. Like it's not like I just took a hiatus, a sabbatical from life. Like things are still happening, and so things still need to be done. But I tried to approach each day without an agenda. It wasn't like, hey, here's a, a massive to-do list of things I need to get done today because I have all this space. It was just space. I tried to say yes to my kids a lot more. I, I exercised more. I tried to watch what I was eating. I drank more water. I journaled more. I prayed more. I listened more. And it's amazing to me how in our lives, those simple little things, we don't even realize how badly we are neglecting them until we have the space to do it and how refreshed we feel when we do it. And coming back, I, I really wanted just to, to bring a small piece of that with me today. I know that you all didn't have five weeks off with me and, and got to experience everything I did, but I wanted to share with you just what God was showing me in these sweet moments I had with him. See, I think there was kind of this self-imposed expectation I placed on myself that I had to arrive at some sort of epiphany I had to be enlightened. I had to like be on the mountain and be transfigured and come down glowing white from my sabbatical. Like, here I am, everyone. Welcome. I've returned. <laughs> and so I think, you know, there wasn't, full transparency, there wasn't that moment for me. And so I think there was this like, oh, no, like, when it, like near the end of the sabbatical, just being like, oh, no, what did I do? Like, what is, and what, what God was kind of trying to show me is that the journey was not about ending at a certain destination. The destination was in the journey. That God wanted to meet me in the midst of my life. He wanted to meet me right in the middle of the crazy. I mean, during these five weeks, we sold our house. We bought a new house. We started packing everything. We had a garage sale yesterday, which, as you all know, you make tons of money and get rid of all your stuff at garage sales. So it's totally worth all the effort. And, um, <laughs> and we, did a, we did a family trip to Denver, not a vacation. A family trip. It's different. Okay, five days in Denver, Colorado with my children. It was a family trip. <laughs> but it was good. It was good, right? So all these things are going on, and I'm realizing in the midst of this, like this, the, what, the point wasn't to have this moment. It was all of these moments culminated into the time together. So maybe a little disappointed, and I kind of searched my heart. I was like, why? Why am I disappointed? And I, th I think I found a good illustration. I grew up going to summer camp. Anybody ever go to camp, like, as a kid, right? And I went to, like, a Bible camp every year of my life from, like, the minute the age allowed me to sign up and, like, eventually became the program director of this campground, right? And uh, so this was, like, every summer, this is, I lived and breathed camp. And here's how every camp went, right? Every camp I ever attended or ran, this is how it went. You'd go throughout the weekend on Thursday night. They would bring in this great speaker, and the speaker would come in, and he'd present this amazing message that culminated to a point of decision for everybody in the room. And it was either uh, accepting Christ into your life for the first time, or it was a rededication of your life to Jesus Christ. And so then the band would play Just As I Am, and everybody would come forward to the front. If you know what song I just referenced, like props to you, church kid. Right? And uh, everybody would come forward, and you'd kneel down in the grass underneath these, this tent on a Thursday night, and you'd just be weeping, and you'd give your life over to Christ, or you'd rededicate your life, and your counselor would come over and pray with you and be the sweet moment. And it was always so interesting to me because then like, it would end, and you'd walk down to the snack shack and eat chocolate 
taco tacos, you know, till like you threw up because you had all this money left over for snacks, right, at the end of the week. And then that was, and then you wake up the next morning, you're still riding this like, yeah, I did this, like we're going to do this for Christ. And you're like getting ready, you're packing up all your stuff because your parents are going to come for this program at the end of the week. And they come and you're, you know, you got your picture of everybody who's in your camp and they're writing their uh, AIM handles on the back, your AOL and semester handles so you guys can chat when you get home. And so you get home and you're hop on, you know, like, right, dial up internet on the thing. You get on the internet so nobody can call you. And then uh, you're like chatting for like forever about all these awesome decisions you made in your life and how you're going to follow Christ. And then the summer ends. And you go back to school and everybody kind of stops talking to each other. And, you know, you said, you're, I'm going to read 10 chapters every day of the week, you know. And all of a sudden it's like, I haven't touched my Bible in a week and you get kind of discouraged, and you start to kind of fall apart, and you're like trying to remember, you're trying to like psych yourself up and get back to that Thursday night moment and be like, oh, that, where was that? I need that again, right? And then you just all of a sudden, a couple months later, you're just in this cycle of like, I'm right back where I started. But winter camp was coming, right? Winter camp was coming. <laughs> but the problem was I started, I started just to realize that I had developed a cycle in my life where I used spiritual highs, camp highs as we used to call them, as the thing that would sustain me through. And it's a dangerous thing for the follower of Jesus Christ because like a drug addict, you're constantly looking for the next high and you don't know how to operate in normal society. You don't know how to operate outside of that little window where you felt so good. And everything in your life is just trying to get back to that and all the sin and things that so easily entangle you just kind of get in the way of like, well, it's okay, I'm just going to get to the next high. And God was just meeting me right in the middle of the mess of my life, just the craziness that it is and saying, I'm, I'm here, I want you to live a life that is about me. And then uh, kind of the, the last week of of time. I, I intentionally planned, even before we uh, started our, our time at, on the sabbatical, I'd said, hey, uh, Jen, I, I think I would be remiss to miss out on an opportunity to kind of get away and to do like a spiritual retreat, as, as we like to call it, where I just kind of go up wilderness, you know, that just kind of uh, is what I'm about in those moments where I just want to be like kind of in the middle of nature, not a lot of people. I'm kind of an introverted person, and so that kind of just refuels my tank a little bit. And so I kind of planned this spiritual retreat where um, for uh, four nights I was going to be up north in these like little cabins. You know, there's a, a ministry over in Wisconsin up past the cities right across the border that just has prayer cabins that they've built for, for pastors and ministry leaders just to use for free. And uh, one of our, our people on our staff found that for me. So I, I booked that. And then, like, through God's grace, like, randomly, uh, a, a family in our church texted me. It was like, hey, we have a, a cabin on the lake up north. You can have it for a couple days. And it was, like, right on the tail end of what I had already booked in the prayer cabin. So I was like, okay, God, you want to do some business. Like, you're extending the trip. Let's, let's do it. And so for those four nights, I, I spent by myself. And for, even for an introvert, that's actually really hard to do. It's really hard because when you leave yourself alone with yourself, you're alone with yourself. And you start to find out some things that you don't really like about yourself. But it's, it's good work and, uh, you know, I think it's exactly what I needed because you start to hear that inner dialogue that's actually going on in your head all the time and all the things that you're actually thinking, but because the noise of life is removed, you can actually hear it. 
And if you can, for a minute, like pry your hands off of these parts of your life, you can experience the freedom that comes from Christ rather than just slapping a Christian label over your life thinking that somehow makes the bad parts better. I think that was for somebody in the room because it was for me, right? Jesus Christ is not just something you say that you do in your life so that somehow the dark parts of your life are a little bit lighter. Jesus Christ is a floodlight that you put in the darkest parts of your life so you can do the surgery needed to eradicate that so you can feel the freedom in Jesus. And sanctification, this word we like to use, is the process of getting deeper and deeper and peeling back layer after layer and finding more dark parts that you didn't know existed, that you didn't know were there, until one day you get a new body, you get to be glorified, and you were Jesus Christ. So it never ends. Even for a pastor in a church in Rochester, Minnesota, it never ends. So near the end of my time away, I knew I wanted this opportunity. And so I, I wanted to open God's word with you. And so I kind of got to this passage because God was speaking it over my life. And I think it exemplifies a powerful truth. It's a narrative so that we can find ourselves as the main characters of the story. So if you've got your Bible, turn over to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, I know we've been on this journey with Jesus through the book of John. We're going to take a little detour, get off on an exit ramp today over to the book of Luke we're going to look at five verses, starting in verse 38, and I think they can teach us some great truth about ourselves. The title of my message today is, More Than Worth It. More Than Worth It. Has anybody ever said that to you? It's more than worth it? It's a common phrase. It's, it's usually about, hey, they experienced something, they encountered something that required some sort of a cost, but don't worry, the cost was more than worth it for what they received. Hey, have you been in that new restaurant? Man, they got this steak. It's a little spendy, more than worth it. More than worth it. Or you're going on vacation to that, that place. There's this hang gliding place, dude. It's a little bit extra on the trip. More than worth it. Have you done your 23 Me? I mean, the results are just amazing. You can find all these incredible things about yourself. It's more than worth it, right? We justify all these things in our life. and It's more than worth it. It's a cost. It requires a cost, but it's more than worth it. And uh, this kind of came about... Uh, this idea for kind of this message came about uh, through my son, Mason, my oldest son, Mason. Um, we uh, got him a pedal bike recently. Here's a picture of, of his pedal bike. And um, as, a, as, a, as a Star Wars nerd, this is a, a very proud dad moment because I didn't pick out this bike. He picked it out with grandma. I wasn't even there. So I'm totally winning this whole parenting thing. I'm crushing it, <laughs> Right? But uh, it comes in a box, right? It comes in a box, and so we have to put this bike together. So he and I go out in the garage, and uh, we start putting this bike together. And Mason is living his best life now when he's doing a project. It just, like, lights him up. Tools, like, something to accomplish. Like, the kid just loves it. And so he's, like, he just, he's just sitting by me and just pulling out. We're doing, like, socket wrenches on these bolts, right? And so he's handing me little, little different sockets, and we're trying to find one that fit and just loving it. And what would happen is, I, you know, I'm kind of in the depth of this. As you know, if you're a dad and you're working with a young kid, like, you're trying to actually finish the project. They're, like, trying to make a game out of the project that makes no sense, right? And so he's kind of doing his own thing, but I'm asking him to help me, so he's handing me stuff. And what would happen is I'd, like, you know, grab a bolt, because I'm not really reading the instructions, but I'm grabbing a bolt and, like, oh, that doesn't fit. And so I'd get the next size, and I'm like, okay, that one's a fit. And he'd be like, oh, that's more worth it. And he's kind of saying it, and I'm like, 
I don't know, he loves to talk, so like words are just everything to him right now, and so I'm just like kind of not tuning him out intentionally like a bad parent, I'm just like, you know, not really listening, and uh, <laughs> he keeps saying it over and over again, though, he keeps saying, that's more worth it, that's more worth it, every time I would find something that fit better, and then finally I'm like, wait, what are you saying? He's like, that's more worth it, and I'm like, where did you hear that without missing a beat? He's like, my brain, I heard it in my brain. Like, just looking at me like, where else would I hear it? I made it up, you know? It means that's better, Dad. That's better. And so I'm like, you know, you're trying to connect the dots, and you're like, okay. So for at some point, he heard a couple of phrases, meshed it together to come up with this phrase that that's more worth it. And it was like, God just like hit me with it. Like, that's how you should approach your life. You should find things in your life as you're searching around, looking for the things to try to accomplish things in your life. What's more worth it? What's a better fit? What's more than worth it in your life? So um, I'm grateful for my son and his way he's tuned into the Holy Spirit in ways he doesn't even know. But let's see it here in Luke chapter 10, God's word, verse 38. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Now, if you're somewhat familiar with the Bible, you've been around church, you've probably heard this story in some context before. A lot of times it's used to, like, shame people. Like, don't be such a Martha, man. Don't be such a Martha. Be more like Mary. I just want to say, like, just get it out. That's not what I'm trying to do today, right? If you walk out of here with that, that's on you. I do not put that on you in any way. Rather, I want us all to see ourselves as Martha, not comparing ourselves in like personality to who we line up with more. Because it'd be really easy to be like, you know, uh, well, Martha is a, a two. She's a two with a one wing, right? Enneagram, if you know what I'm talking about, right? She's, got a, she's, got, she's a two, she's the helper. She's got a one wing, so it's like black and white. It's like nobody's helping me, so I'm going to go to Jesus and get some justice here, okay? And Mary, Mary's probably a seven, Right? Just next experience. Doesn't care about where the party's coming from. She just wants to be at the party. I spent a day in Chicago doing some Enneagram training, so that's my lesson for you today. Go, go look it up. But, I mean, it'd be really easy to be like, well, that's just their personality. That's just who they are. I identify with one or the other, and, and that's the point of the story. But I don't think if this was, like, about who do you most, like, identify with that the Holy Spirit would have inspired Luke to write it down. I think God wants us to see ourselves in each person in, in the story, both Martha and Mary. So we're going to be talking about ourselves today, taking it personally about who we are. So let's lean in. Let's hear what God has for us this morning in this text, a little context, okay? We're going to mine uh, three truths out of this today, but here's a little context. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, okay? So we're, we're kind of setting up the scene here. I think context is important because we're jumping into the middle of a book, okay? Um, so we're in Luke's account of the life of Jesus, and this little uh, five-verse story is sandwiched between some, some pretty well-known parts of the Bible. 
the parable of the Good Samaritan and the Lord's Prayer. Right here in these five verses, I think there's some amazing truth for our life today, and uh, it's right in the middle of Jesus' ministry. He is like a celebrity, right? He's healing people. He's raising people from the dead. He's feeding people. So like everywhere this guy goes, there is a crowd, right? Every town he enters, the word has already uh, preceded him that he's, he's an amazing prophet. Um, people are calling him the Messiah, and so he's kind of a big deal. So everywhere he goes, there's a crew around him. A lot of people are asking for his time. And Martha takes advantage of this opportunity a little bit. She's, you know, kind of a hospitable person. She has, obviously, the room to accommodate the crew that he's traveling with. And she says, hey, come in to my house. And she welcomes Jesus in. And the expectations in that culture was not kind of how it is today, where maybe you invite people who are like, yeah, come hang out, um, bring a snack with you. Or like they get in and you rummage through the fridge and you're like, I got a couple of LaCroix, half a bottle of apple juice, and otherwise there's tap water. Uh, what do you want? You know, it's like that was, that was not going to fly. The cultural expectations, especially around women's role when there would be somehow a gathering in their house was like you were throwing a dinner party. It was a big deal. You were feeding everybody, full shebang, everything was going on. And so Martha knew that. Like, she wasn't inviting Jesus in and going, oh, no. What? Like, she knew what was about to happen. And this was a smaller town. There probably wasn't a lot going on. So people would remember, like, when the Messiah came through, if you, like, bombed the dinner party, right? So there was, like, some pressure on Martha to accommodate this. And she has a sister in the story as well sitting there. And it says she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. So same scenario, they both live in the same house, they're probably close in age, and Martha saw it as one opportunity with a perspective, and Mary saw it as a different opportunity with a completely different perspective. See, it's significant that she sat at his feet because that would have been the posture of a disciple of the teacher, normally reserved for a man. So she was like throwing out like any cultural norm, and it was kind of a dangerous thing, but she said, you know what? This is a pretty stellar opportunity. And so she sat at his feet as a student of the rabbi. And we see the the tension between the two people culminate in verse 40. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. See, I don't think it's, it's that Martha didn't want to listen to Jesus. I don't think it was that she had no intention of like sitting and actually soaking in who Jesus was. I think she was just distracted with much serving. The New Living Translation says she was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She had stuff she had to do. And she's starting to feel overwhelmed by it all and kind of realizing she maybe bit off more than she can chew. And everyone else is just chilling in the living room and Jesus is all like, truly, truly, I say to you. And you know that Martha walked by a couple times and looked at Mary and was like, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you get in the kitchen, help me out. And Mary's probably like, "Uh, it's Jesus. Like, he's in our house. I'm not going anywhere. And finally, Mary, with her one wing, is like, okay, fine, we'll take it to the just and righteous Savior of the world. Uh, Jesus. Excuse me, sorry everyone. Jesus, um, do you think it's fair that I'm over here slaving like we're back in Egypt over this meal 
And uh, Mary's all like chilling at your feet thinking like we're back in the Garden of Eden. It's just going to grow on the trees. Like what, what, what's the deal? Tell her to help me. And I will say this. This is like one of the only times that it's recorded in Scripture that someone commands the Son of God to do something and it's a woman. I'm just saying. I'm not surprised. <laughs> but no, I mean, really, it's obvious Martha, Martha's frustrated, right? Martha's frustrated. And we can all relate. We've all been in a scenario where we're just like overwhelmed and people, we feel like people are like, nobody's paying attention, nobody cares. I'm doing all of this stuff and I, I have no help. Same scenario, same opportunity, two different perspectives. Here's the perspectives. Martha saw the opportunity to elevate her social status. Mary saw the opportunity to engage in spiritual practice. Martha welcomed Jesus in and then set about doing. Mary welcomed Jesus by setting herself at his feet and just being. I wonder how many times in our lives we find ourselves overwhelmed and frustrated and anxious and distracted by all that we feel that we have to do. And it's because we've welcomed Jesus in, yes, but then we put him in another room while we went about what we had to do. He's in the living room and we're like, just sit there and I'll, I'll take care of all this. I got this. I truly believe that Martha was so concerned with what her role was in the story that she didn't even consider what Jesus' role could be. I mean, she's, she's worried about dinner. This guy just fed 5,000 people with a Lunchable, like a, a, ch- a chapter ago. Can you imagine how different this story would be if Martha had, had welcomed Jesus in and instead of acting like she had it all together and she could figure it all out and she didn't need him to do anything in her life, she just said, hey, hey Jesus, you're totally welcome in my home. All I have is yours. It's all yours. Uh, here's, what I, here's what I have available. Can, can you do what only you can do? Can you fill the gap? And can you imagine in your life if you were to say, Jesus, you're totally welcome in my life. Uh, everything, everything I have is yours, but the truth is I don't have it all together, and uh, here's everything I got. Can you, can you take it and do what only you can do? Can you fill the gap? And I think that's what Mary realized in that moment. Here's the first truth we can take for our lives. Feel free to write this down in your notes. Self-denial is worth more than self-reliance. Self-denial is worth more than self-reliance. Self-reliance leads to self-implosion. Self-denial leads to true satisfaction. Self-reliance comes from a heart of, I can do it, it's all me. Self-denial comes from, he can do it in me. Self-denial is worth more than self-reliance. So in the story, Martha presents her case to Jesus, and she's fully expecting him to take her side. I mean, you don't, you don't like bring this up as like, a, oh, I don't really know if I'm right or wrong here. Like she thought she was totally right. Mary was way out of bounds, and Jesus was going to fix it. And instead, as often happens when Jesus intervenes in our life, when we come to Jesus with our demands and our complaints, Jesus doesn't do what we expected him to do. Verse 41, but the Lord answered her, 
Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. I like the way the NLT reads this. I'm going to throw it on the screen. But the Lord said to her, My dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. Classic Jesus, right? A strong word wrapped in this tender response. Martha, Martha. It's not in a condescending way. It's not like Martha, Martha. Mm. Brady Bunch, anybody? Marsha, Marsha. But it's in a way that, that, like, Jesus can convey, like, I, I see you're frustrated. Martha, like, I love you, Martha. Please listen. And Jesus doesn't start with a, a defense of Mary. You notice that Martha went right to an attack of Mary. Here's the problem, Jesus. It's Mary. And Jesus' response doesn't even start with, like, hey, hey, don't, don't attack. No, it's just Martha. Let's talk about you for a second. You are anxious and worried about all of these details, all of these things. See, the fruit of, of Martha's anxiety and frustration was her outlash at Mary, but the root was something much deeper, and that's what Jesus always gets at. I see this in my life, right, where the fruit of my life spills over onto other people. Jesus, if you could just fix my spouse, then I'd be able to handle all this. God, if my coworker wasn't like that, if my boss didn't treat me that way, my life would be so much easier. Lord, if I could just get some help around here. We project our personal unhealth outward onto our surrounding circumstances and relationships. And it's in an attempt to like alleviate the pressure. Like if somebody else can feel this with me, maybe I'll feel better. It never works that way. It just leaves us bitter, resentful, Worse off than we were. Here's the second truth I want us to grab today. Self-awareness is worth more than self-pity. Self-awareness is worth more than self-pity. Can we get real for a second? Do you know some pitiful people? Not like pitiful, but like pitiful. Full of pity. It's a real thing. Like, you can't even talk to them in, like, a normal way without them, like, getting their pity all over you, right? Where you ask them questions like, hey, like, are you excited about this summer? And they're like, uh, I would be if, uh, you know, we've got, like, six different camps and Mark's going on his business trip, so I've got the kids and our washer just broke, and so I don't even know how I'm going to do laundry. And you're like, yeah, I, we're going to go swimming too. Um, you know what I mean? But I think, I think a lot of times what I'm talking about, like being just full of pity, and, and the truth is, is that it can really distort how you view life, how you present yourself to the world. And so a lot of times, you know, if you think about your life as a jar, right, and, um, and we fill it with everything that goes on in our life, and, and the world empties us out. So there's, there's space that needs to be filled, and we can fill it with whatever we want. We, we kind of have that free will. And so maybe like last week, you know, like this is kind of how you, like you spend some time with Jesus and there's a little bit left there in the bottom, but you've just been spent. It's been a hard week. 
And so you have a choice in front of you. You can, you know, kind of take the pressures of what the world wants and pour that in, or you can do what God wants. And I think so often we just say, hey, you know what, I'm just going to, I got all this stuff I got to do. My to-do list is growing and growing and growing, and, you know, it's going to be just a really busy time, and I don't have any help. Like, nobody really understands. And the problem is, is that, you know, there, there was some Jesus in there, but all that worry and all that anxiety just rises to the top. And so as people start to look into your life, all they can see is all the self-pity, all the anxiety and worry and frustration and stress. You know that thing where people, like, when they come and talk to you before they say anything else, they're like, I know you're really busy, but it's because all they can see is, is what you've poured in and it's rising to the top. And so then life pours you out some more. And what I'm trying to say is that, you know, that worry and that frustration, all the things of life, they're not going away. But what you can do is you can change your concentration. You can change your concentration, and, and now when I look at my life, yeah, there's a, there's a little bit of worry and anxiety going on, but man, when I look at the whole of my life, the majority of what's going on in my life is Jesus Christ. And as Jesus pours in his joy and his hope and makes you see the world for all its beauty, you start to not be pitiful, you start to that all of that anxiety and that stress and that worry is just going to magically go away. You're going to have to choose to constantly pour it out, and life's going to pour a little bit back in, but what are you pouring more of into your life? Can you pour more of what God wants in your life, the one thing, rather than everything that the, the world says you should do? Self-awareness is worth more than self-pity. I know who I am. I know where I tend to go in my mind if I don't make room for Jesus. I'm aware. Not full of self-pity. I know. I know. I got, yeah, I got some things going on in my life. I got some stress. I got some worry. This is a busier season than sometimes or whatever. But man, the majority of what I have in me is the hope and the joy and the love and the beauty of Jesus Christ. And that's what I want people to see. I'm changing my concentration. See, Mary made a small decision that day. Martha made it a big decision, but she made a small decision to sit at Jesus' feet and look up. She would have had to look up at Jesus. Martha chose to, to be separate from Jesus and look at everything that was around her. And so the, the, the truth of this is, is that every single day we have the opportunity to make a small decision to sit at Jesus' feet. And you might not see the effects of that in your life on the first day or the second day or the third day, but what will happen is you'll start to look back on your life after a significant amount of time and go, man, there's way more times with Jesus than I can remember all of the stress and the things I was so worked up about. But I can remember these sweet moments with the Lord. There was a night on the, the spiritual retreat I was on where I had kind of a moment like this. Um, Again, like one of the hardest parts about practicing silence and solitude is like it's just you and yourself. You can't numb everything that's going on. I remember kind of just, I was just feeling overwhelmed, just anxious, all these thoughts, and like physically uncomfortable, right? Like I'm pacing around and I'm talking out loud to God. If you were like a fly, you'd like do this, dude has lost it. He is crazy. Right? I'm just like, you know, kind of stressing out, just like talking to, and just praying out loud. And I'm kind of like, you know, little Martha, like demanding, like, come on, Lord, like, you do it. Tell me, like, be this, be that. Tell me, just get, stop, like, you're so lazy, God, just tell me. 
speak, speak, speak. And it's like, shut up so he can talk to you. And just like not in a spooky way, not in this like booming voice from heaven, but just kind of this like soft voice from within. It's just like, Brent, Brent, you are anxious and troubled about many things. Only one thing is necessary. Choose the one thing. So call it an epiphany. Call it enlightenment. Didn't feel like anything earth-shattering in the moment, but rather it was a simple call to return to what I've known for so long. That Jesus is the only thing necessary. And that's hard to grasp in a world that celebrates busy. In a world that says, if you do more, you are more. Hurry up and finish this thing so you can get onto that thing. Accomplish this. Be that. Let everyone know that you're the best you could ever be. And the whole time you have a little device in your pocket that you can pull out and scroll and see that you're not as good as other people and you never will be. And so you work harder and you try harder and you try to be more and do more. And our society is the sickest it's ever been. It's the most stressed out it's ever been. It's, we're getting the least amount of sleep we've ever gotten, and we're doing the most we've ever done to get to zero satisfaction. And the church is not immune to this. You have pastors and men of God who are studying this very text, who are taking their own lives in an attempt to escape the pressure that they feel to somehow be something or do something or have the biggest church or preach the best message or be the right leader. And I have to believe that God is just heartbroken over this. And at one point, he was in the other room of their life saying, Martha... Martha, you are anxious and worried about many things. But one thing is necessary. I'm praying that we would hear his voice this morning. The last truth for us comes from the end of this scene with Jesus and Martha and Mary. And Jesus says, but one thing is necessary. Verse 42 Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. The truth is this, self-devotion is worth more than self-gratification. It's easy to think that the moral of the story is to just do less and be less And then when consequences come from you, like shirking responsibilities in your life, that you can just play the Jesus card. I'm just trying to be more like Mary. That's why I didn't get to that. You know, I'm just trying to sit at the feet of Jesus. And that's not at all what Jesus is trying to say. Rather, it's a a devotion. And when we think of someone who has self-devotion in their life, they have committed themselves over to something completely. We know them as that person. That is who they are. That's what they're about. So for Mary, there was no other option for her than to sit at the feet of Jesus because she was devoted to him. It wasn't that she was just lazy, that she didn't want to make dinner. So she's like, oh, let's do this instead. Like this. Everybody else is in here. That's self-gratification. That's like, ah, oh, this is the easier way. The harder thing is to say, hey, I'm going to do what needs to be done. But when it kind of comes push to shove and there's an option, 
I'm going to choose the better thing, the thing that will actually feed me rather than the thing that will just kind of uh, give me a sugar high for a minute. I'd rather have the meal than the snack pack. And so I've, de- I've devoted myself to Christ. Because the nuance of the story is, is Jesus' word, but one thing is necessary. See, when you invited someone into your home in that culture, the most important part of hospitality was paying attention to the guest. There might be work to do. There might be a dinner to prepare or whatever. But you notice Jesus didn't come in and say, prepare me a feast. Rather, we know from John 4 that Jesus would likely say, I have food to eat that you don't even know about. My food is to do the will and the work of my Father. So I think the last thing on Jesus' mind is when was dinner going to be ready? But rather, you saw an opportunity to pour into people and to teach them the truth of his Father. What he wanted from his host was devotion, not dinner. That's the one thing. The one thing is the words of Jesus in your life. Not the words of everybody else. The pressure you feel to somehow be something that you're not. Who does Jesus say that you are? What does Jesus want you to do? That is the one thing. In a few chapters over in Luke 16, Jesus talks about how you cannot serve two masters. Either you will be devoted to one and despise the other, he says. And he uses the example of money, but you can throw anything in there. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve both God in your career. You cannot serve both God in your kids. You cannot serve both God and yourself. He's not saying those things shouldn't be in your life. He's saying, what are you devoted to? What gets you out of bed in the morning and helps you filter every decision you've ever made? And the thing that can frustrate me is that the story is left suspended. We don't know what happened next. Martha could have just like rolled her eyes and been like, well, if everybody thought that way, nothing would get done. And went back to the kitchen and prepared this great feast. And maybe dinner was awesome, but she didn't enjoy it because there were 10 things that she wished she could have done but didn't have the help to do it. But maybe, just maybe, she received what Jesus said to her. She took a deep breath and she just kind of sank into a posture of devotion. Maybe Mary kind of like scooted next to her and bumped her shoulder and said, we'll make Peter take care of dinner. (laughs) Jesus likes picking on him anyways. And Mary could have just sat Can you imagine the truth that she would have been able to receive from the Savior, from the Messiah, in her home, speaking right to her, and she's right there at his feet. And then after a little bit, stood up, went back and said, okay, uh, here's what I have available with the time I have left. I can't do everything I wanted to do, but man, that was more than worth it. So I want us to do that this morning. Tessa's going to sing a song over us, and I want to give you the space 
Would you just sit at his feet?